It's been almost three years now since the start of the COVID pandemic, but I'm not going to talk about that today as much as I'm going to talk about another pandemic that's been happening for a long time, and that's first world problems. Right? Um, I don't know if you know what first world problems are, but they're problems that you know kind of disrupt your life just a little bit, um, make things uncomfortable, things don't go as smooth, and they happen probably every day. Right? Things like having to answer a call from an unknown number. Right? Like, oh, it's not for that. You're receiving the we missed you card at your house because you were waiting for that package to come and you didn't make it home in time to pick it up and now you got to go to the post office or wait another day. Or how about the first world problem of no Wi-Fi somewhere, right? Having to pay for shopping bags, that's the first world problem that I didn't know I had until I moved out here. Uh, right? Wanting to log into an account but being unable to remember the password, right? Or you're going to the bathroom and you realize no one replaced the toilet paper before you. What a rough life, right? Running out of milk, online deliveries running late, unexpected items in the bagging area and self-checkouts and you can't figure out what it is, um, unable to rewind or fast-forward TV, hotels with their outlets too far from the side of the bed. Like, why? Why would they do that? Not having 5G signal, but only merely 4G or even 3G. <sighs> life, what has it come to, you know? When the important email you've been waiting for for forever accidentally just went to your junk folder and you've been looking for it all day, having too much ice in your drink that you can't get to the actual drink, being so hungry but just not wanting to cook. You know, these are real problems that everyone deals with every day. Maybe you're hungry but you already brushed your teeth. You're like, oh, do I eat? Do I brush my teeth again? I don't know having nothing to drink in your home except for your unlimited supply of fresh drinking water. You know, going to sleep at night, but one pillow is too low and two pillows is too high, and now both sides of the pillow are uncomfortably warm, right? How are you going to sleep tonight? Maybe your cookie is too big to fit in your glass of milk, or your hand too large to reach the Pringles at the bottom of the can. You can't hear the television over your crunchy snacks. Or maybe when your chip breaks off into the dip and you got to find another chip to go on a rescue mission to save it. Right? Or what if, you know, those moments when you have so much chips left but not enough dip. But if you open another thing of dip, now you're going to have too much dip but enough, enough chips at home. Or your ripped jeans already are too much ripped that you have to go buy a new pair of ripped jeans. As funny and as real as some of these things are, most of you guys are like, I mean, that's not real problems, right? But we get pretty caught up in our own world, don't we? You know, and maybe not all of these things are, are that inconvenient in our lives, but there are small things that inconvenience us that we let really kind of overwhelm our lives and take over things. And it causes us to kind of forget about what's happening all over around our world. Because, you know, in 2018, John Allen Chow, he was killed for taking the gospel to an unreached people group off the coast of India. It was illegal to even sail near this island. And this is something, you know, that just happened recently. It was illegal to even sail near it, but he let alone get off and actually get on the island. This is something from his journal entry found with his first encounter with indigenous people of that island. He said, I heard the whoops and the shouts from their hunt. I tried to stay out of arrow range, but unfortunately that meant I was also out of good hearing range. So I got a little closer as they, about six from what I could see, yelled at me. 
I tried to parrot their words back to them, and they just burst out laughing at me. So I assumed they were saying bad words or insulting me. I hollered, my name is John, and I love you, and Jesus loves you. I regret that I began to panic slightly as I saw them string arrows in their boats. I picked up fish that I had caught, and I threw it towards them, but they kept coming. I paddled like I never have in my life back to the main boat. I felt some fear, but mainly was disappointed that they didn't accept me right away. One of the tribe's people, a kid about 10 or so years old, maybe a teenager, fired an arrow that struck his Bible. And he wrote that night in his journal on board the boat while I'd been shot by the Sentinelese. The next day, as he prepared to make another approach, he wrote a letter to his parents. He said, you guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God worshiping in their own language, as Revelation 7, 9 through 10 states. And he signed off, glory to God alone. Some of his other diary entries revealed he a little bit less certainty about the mission that he was undertaking. He wrote to God, if you want me to actually get shot or even killed with an arrow, then so be it. But I think I would be more useful alive. He said, I don't want to die. Would it be wiser to leave and let someone else continue? No, I don't think so. I could still make it back to the U.S. somehow, as, is, as it seems like certain death to stay here. That next morning, he handed his diary and the letter to the fisherman on the boat he was staying on, and he hopped in his kayak back to the island. The following morning, according to the police statement, the fisherman saw a dead person being buried at the shore, from which the silhouette of the body and clothing and the circumstances appeared to be the body of John Allen Chow. He gave his life to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to these people, and his body is actually still buried there to this day. There's another missionary from years before named David Livingstone. He was a Scottish missionary and explorer who spent 33 years in the heart of Africa. He endured much suffering as he labored to spread the gospel and open that continent to more missionaries. This godly missionary once remarked, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? It is without a doubt no sacrifice. Say rather it's a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Do you know there are roughly 400,000 missionaries out in the world around us today? And that sounds like, man, that's quite a lot. But when you compare it to the 7.8 billion people in our world, the roughly 3.3 billion unsaved or unreached people in the world, that only comes down to one missionary to every 8,250 people. How many people have you reached for Jesus? Have you come close to 8,000? Now, when they, when they look at the unreached people out there in the world, they divide them up into three categories. 
you have the reach people groups. This is greater than 2% of the population is Christian, and the majority of that nation is Christian. A place like America, where the gospel is readily available, and unsaved people have just chosen not to receive it, or you know, are moments away from being able to receive it. Then you have unevangelized people groups. I'm really ringy. Can we like turn me down? I think I'm loud enough by myself or something. We have the reach people groups, or un, yeah, unevangelized people groups, where greater than two percent of the population is Christian but still large numbers of unsaved people exist in those nations. It's where the gospel has reached, as in there's missionaries there, um, there's probably churches established. It's not illegal to share about Christ, but it just hasn't reached through the full group. And that's about 11% of the unreached world. And then there's the unreached people groups, which is less than 2% of their population is Christian. And where there is not the gospel being shared in their language or um, readily available to them, There's either not enough people to share or it's illegal to share. And that makes up 42% of the world population. 96% of the world's unreached people live in what they call the 1040 window, which is 10 degree latitude to 40 degrees north of the equator. 60% of unreached people groups live in countries that are closed to missionaries from North America. Now, this is important because often we sit here in our comfy church chairs. Right, really nice chairs. I, I like them. My dad's church has wooden pews, and they're about to get nice, comfy chairs. So um, I was really excited about that. But we sit here in our comfy chairs on a Sunday morning, worried about our first world problems, when there's people all over the world that don't even know Jesus. They don't have access to him to come and sit in a comfy chair, let alone come sit in any sort of chair and hear about Jesus. And at the rate we're headed, there's a small chance they may never hear. And that's a major problem. As Christians, we're commanded to take the good news, to take the gospel, to take the hope we have in Christ and share it with the world. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? We receive the power of the Holy Spirit, not to come and sit here, but to take his message everywhere. Acts 13.47, it says, For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. We're called and not just asked, but commanded to take the gospel to all the world. And one of the best ways we get to do that here in America with the access to resources that we have is sending missionaries and supporting them. Now, obviously, God calls people to go physically, and maybe God is calling you today. And, you know, I kind of hope so. But we do have amazing opportunity because, like I mentioned before, 60% of countries that are filled with the most unreached people you can't even get in with from being from North America. Romans 10, 13 through 15. There's a promise that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And what a precious promise that we know and hold to and grasp. But Paul continues to go on and say, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them if they're not sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Right? How can they hear if no one has been sent? Right? We are not just called to go. We are also called to send. In Luke 10, Jesus sent out his disciples as the first missionaries empowered to go out. Acts 13, Barnabas and Paul were sent as missionaries and as church planners to go from nation to nation, sharing the gospel and planning churches and building up a local community that knew Christ. Paul talks about this in Philippians 4, 15 through 17, about support that he received while he was sent. He says, as you know, you Philippians were not the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. You don't say this because, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive the reward for your kindness. Again, in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, Paul talks about this. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Paul even directed other churches, the first churches, to take offerings specifically for spreading the gospel to other nations. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, we find his instructions. It says, now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try and collect it all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver the gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, I, they can travel with me. Like I said before, 60% of unreached people groups are in places Americans can't get to. Or, we have, or they have to go in the guise of an NGO, which is a, a non-government organization. They come in and say, I'm here to help with schools, or I'm here to help with, um, you know, just government structure or things like that. And they, but the problem is they get there and they have to run this actual business. That so much of their time is spent running a business that they can't actually reach people with the gospel. Um, I spent about a month in Pakistan and underneath uh, an NGO and we traveled and we met other people and they literally, they have full business structures and so many of them wish they could be reaching more people with the gospel, but they have to spend so much time just trying to exist in the country that it becomes really hard for them. Now, if we could help cover those costs, that they'd be more free to do the work of the gospel. Now, this isn't a new thing as we've been seeing that this was very common from the very beginning of the church. It's something we should be doing even more today with the abundance of resources we have here. Now, you may, may be saying, well, not me. You know, I, I don't make that much money. But did you know that if you have even a couple of pennies in your pocket right now, or you have a debit card that's linked to a positive bank, bank account, um, that you're more wealthy than the majority of the world? 
If you own a house or you have a paid-off vehicle, you have a retirement fund or a savings account, you're now listed, I think, in the top 10%, like, financially around the world. Did you know the annual income of all church members worldwide is estimated to be $53 trillion? And of that money, $896 billion, or just shy of $1 trillion, is given towards Christian causes. Now, that $896 billion is roughly spent in um, different categories. You got 82% goes mostly to home ministries or to the local church, which is, you know, things like here. And um, that goes to cover for church building we have, for salaries, for outreach that we do um, right here in the ministries of your home church. 12% goes to home evangelism, which is, you know, taking care of the homeless around you or, you know, the needs of the community right here at home. That's roughly $107 billion that goes towards that. And of that $896 billion, 6% is given to missions. 6% is given to reach the rest of the world, about $52 billion. And that's actually been trending down over the last few years. What's even crazier that only 1.7% of that money goes to nations with unreached people groups an estimated $880 million as of 2022. Did you know that America spends more money than that on costumes for their pets? For every $100,000 that Christians make, that a Christian could make, $1.70 each year is given to unreached people groups. Literal pocket change. You know that evangelical Christians could provide all the funds needed to plant a church in each of the 6,900 unreached people groups with only 0.03% of their income? The church has roughly 3,000 times the financial resources and 9,000 times the manpower needed to finish the Great Commission. If every evangelical gave 1% of their income to missions over the next year, we could support 200,000 new missionaries. You know, we, we hear these things where we talk about the gospel going to every people group, and it seems like, wow, that's so unfathomable, so impossible. How can we do that? But it's really not that far out of reach. It's all right here. The big thing is whether we have the faith to follow through with what we've been commanded with. I know that we here at this church, we're, we're a small amount of people, right? We're, we're not going to be able to reach the whole world by ourselves. But we need to start somewhere. And I think we can continue to make this a big part of church culture. I, I, you know, I want to throw it out there, first and foremost, to the people of Generations Church, that you guys have been faithful givers to missions more than other churches I've been a part of. And I want to thank you. And I... We support missionaries, we're going to talk about it in a little bit, and um, I know them, like, personally, they're friends of mine, not just strangers out there. You know, I've been on the field, I've been out there, and, like, your support literally means the world to them, for them to be able to, to sacrifice their lives, to continue to give everything of themselves to these people who need Jesus. And yet, sometimes it just seems so hard for us to give a little bit extra, you know, when they've given their whole lives and they just rely on that faith 
that maybe you'll give or you won't give. And so first I want to say thank you for those people who have been faithfully giving to keep them out there because I know how much it means to them. And, but it doesn't mean that we can't do more, right? And so this last year we didn't hit our missions goal, um, but we did raise $11,600 towards mission, and that is awesome. And, like, you should pat yourselves on the back and be proud of what we're able to do as such a small church. But we had a goal of 15000 and we didn't quite reach it. And don't be bummed about that. Like I said, we did a really good job, and it's been a crazy year, and I know there's so much stuff happening here. But I believe we can do more. I'm just getting myself together a little bit. But... Uh, Almost 10 years ago, uh, the spring of 2013, I was in Kabul, Afghanistan with a team of about six other people, and we were praying for missionaries, um, the people who give their lives over there. That was pretty much our main goal was to go over and pray for the nation um, with some upcoming stuff that was happening at that time, but also to just encourage the workers who are there. Those missionaries, those workers in especially unreached people group nations, closed nations like that, live in some of the most oppressed, like, just atmospheres you could ever imagine. You know, on top of the fact that they have to be so secretive about their own lives, the lives they live are hard. It's not easy for them over there. And, um, you know, we just wanted to come in and just give them a place of of rest and encouragement. And um, I had an encounter with one of the the women who worked there. And I'll never really forget that moment. Um, we, We spent the better part of this day with this woman, who had spent her life, she was been, at that moment in time, she'd been there for over 20 years. And it had taken a pretty huge toll on her life. Um, about 12 years before we got there, her husband was actually taken hostage with other workers, and she escaped to Pakistan with her children um, and made it back to the U.S. And months and months later, her husband was released and made it back. Um, into the country, and that trauma that he went through was too much for him to go back, but she still felt a call to serve in Afghanistan. And so they ended up separating from their 20-year marriage, and uh, she came back to Afghanistan under another organization. So not only had Afghanistan taken such a huge toll on her mentally and emotionally, it had taken you know, her family from her, all this stuff, this physical toll in her life to go out there and reach these people with the gospel. Now, she was this beautiful woman in her 40s, but the sun, the dust, the sand, the harsh weather conditions, the fact that she walked everywhere she had to go to had taken a toll on her physically. One of the things we were doing for the workers that we prayed for um, is we just wanted to show them how much we cared about them and served them, and we were washing their feet. And I remember, like, it's clear as day, the moment, you know, she had traveled around with us all day. She was kind of showing us the places that she had been working in and the different things going on. And we got back and we were praying over her and the sun was just starting to set and the room we were in uh, was just dimming down. And I just remember like feeling this just heavy desire of like, I want to be the one to wash her feet. And um, so I, you know, got this bowl together of warm water and added some soap in it. And I, I sit her down in this chair and she kind of squirms because she knows what's, what's coming up and that she, she's hiding her feet, tucked up under the chair. And, um, you know, because they're dirty, they're callous, they're 
this form from the life that she had sacrificially given for these people. And, you know, so some convincing, I, I start washing her feet. And I just began to weep because I thought of God in that verse saying, man, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Is how much she was ashamed of the condition of her feet. That God was overwhelmingly like in love and obsessed with the beauty of her feet for the work that she did. And I think it's kind of crazy that we can sit over here where we're at, we're pretty safe, and you know, we complain about the issues, our you know, fake persecution we have as Christians in America and all of those things. There's people over there literally giving up everything to spread the gospel. But we can still partner with that. Today, like, something so near and dear to God's heart, we have access to you here. And, and we can be a part of those things. And, you know, that, that may cause some sort of sacrifice that we may have to do here to be able to give and support that. But aren't they already giving up so much more to be there? I believe that we're all called to go. And I also believe that we have the ability to send and partner with these people who have decided to put aside those of their own desires to follow that call in their lives. Right? And that we, especially living a life not really of poverty compared to the rest of the world, have been called and given the opportunity to serve and send those people financially. So we've been doing it this last year, but making it more kind of so you know what's happening moving forward that the second Sunday of every month we're going to be talking specifically about missions, and we're going to talk about probably a missionary that we're supporting and hopefully bring some updates, hopefully have videos from them, or if they're visiting, we'll get them here in person. Um, and we want to update you on where we're at with our goals. But every second Sunday, um, the offering that we take of undesignated money, so if you just drop money in our offering box, um, or you can mark it for missions, but it'll all go to missions every second Sunday. Um, Currently, we support 10 open Bible missionaries. I think there's a picture of them all. It's kind of small, but we have three families we support in Mexico, three families we support in Africa, two in Asia, um, a lady in Ukraine, and someone, a, a couple in Trinidad who raise up and train more missionaries. Uh, I do want to talk about some of the mission work that they do because there's kind of a, I guess, a, when we talk about mission work in today's culture, there's people that frown upon it because it had been done wrong for a long time. And I don't think it was done from a wrong heart, um, just that we didn't know any better. And it was uh, similar to, I guess you look up the word like colonization, where we brought not just the gospel, but people brought their culture and thought that they had to go hand in hand. And there's a lot of frowning on mission work because of that idea. But I want to let you know, like these missionaries, like, not only do I know them personally, some of them have stayed in my house. Um, some of them have known me my whole life. Um, some of them are basically family to people here in our church. And like these people, they, they not only love the people that they're serving, but they love Jesus even more. And they're not about that. They're about getting the local church to know the gospel, to be built up, and to be able to handle things on their own. And they just come in and support. And so I, I want, do want to let you know, like we, our missions work that we do is is good and healthy and beneficial to the people that they're there um, working along and working with. Um, and they overall believe the gospel itself is more than enough, just like we need. 
There's a quote I found that said, the current status quo is to do virtually nothing to reach the unreached people group of the world. The percentages of manpower and money focused on the unreached people groups are almost undetectable. They are so small. The amount of resources that fall off the Christian table for unreached peoples is almost comparable to the number of skin cells you lose over a month's time, something that's hardly worth calling a sacrifice of the body. So our goal for 2023 is I want to I raise $16,000. I believe that we can raise $16,000 to give to missions, and I think it's very achievable. That's roughly $27 per adult that regularly attends this church a month. Right? That's not some crazy out-of-reach number. I think we can do way more and above that. Um, and this is above your regular giving or tithe to the church. Um, but I want to preface with this before we move forward. 2 Corinthians 9, 69 says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need, and then you will always have everything you need, plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. The Bible is very clear that God wants you to be a cheerful giver, to not give because you feel pressured, and I'm not pressuring you to give today. Right? I, I've brought resources and reasonings and things because I want you to understand what the world looks like and what the need is out there. But I don't want you to feel pressured to give because it's not what God asks of you. And I want that more so than anything else. God will care for them. He'll care for them through us, however it looks. But I believe God does want you to partner with him in that. So underneath your seat, kind of every other seat, is a commitment card. Um, and this is honestly more for you. I want you, you know, to fill it out, write it down. I'm not going to go and tally it all up and see whether or not we're going to reach the number or not. Honestly, it's just, I think, like we talked about uh, goals last week and resolutions, that when you write something down, it just makes it more permanent. It makes it something that will be a reminder to you. you know, so if you want to fill it out and you don't want us to know, don't turn it into the thing. But, uh, you know, you can fill it out, rip off a piece, throw the, take the reminder home, put the other thing in the offering box if you would like. Um, but I want you to make a commitment to give something if you can't. But I want you to pray about it. I want you to decide in your heart, as that verse says, whatever God would want you to do. Um, as Noah said in the announcement video, we have a new uh, church center app that we're using. Um, you can give through there now. Um, it, it actually saves us a lot of fees, saves you fees and us fees if you give through there compared through PayPal. Um, so if you want to start giving through that, you can set up recurring giving so that you can set it and forget it like we do pretty much all of our bills. Um, hopefully you not forget it too much. But um, if that's a helpful thing for you. But I also want to let you guys know that there are other ways that you can have an impact on reaching the nations around the world, not just giving. Did you know that there are over 900,000 international students in the U.S. every year? 62% of international students come from that 1040 window. It's a missionary delivery service, guys. They're showing up at your front door, right? Um, it's like Mission Dash or something. Uh, Uh, I just got a lot of things going through my head all of a sudden. Uh, evangelism grub hub. I don't know. But 80% of those students will return back to their countries having never been invited in an American person's home. 
that in general should break your heart. That like, we're just not even being Christians, let alone evangelizing to them. Like, well, that 80% of them don't get invited into America's person's home when they're here. Like, just at a minimum, do that, and you'll change things. Only 10% of international students are reached by ministries while in the United States. It's estimated by the year 2025, 50% of all world leaders will have been international students. There are currently over 1.3 million international students studying in the U.S., and over 4.5 million studying worldwide today. Imagine that most people, most of those international students go back and, and hold some pretty high position back in their country where they have the ability to influence multiple, multiple others. And we have the ability to be a part of their lives today and in a country that's free, in a place where we can share with them and show them what it looks like. Right? This is something we can do to make a world impact right here at home, especially with the amount of schools that we have in this area and the amount of international people in this area. You can also just go into missions. Maybe you're like, I don't want to give to missions. They just all, churches just want my money. I don't want your money, just go. I'll, I'll give you money. All right? The other way around, 100%. I'll give you money today, right now, if you decide to go to the, to the world around and, and take the gospel, the good news, the hope of Jesus to people that need it. There's not enough people out there to reach these people. Right? Maybe you'll just end up going on a short-term missions trip in your life, but I would encourage you to at some point go. Right? Maybe it's even to just another city, state, or nation, or all the nations, but you need to go. We've been called to do that. Maybe as you reach a new stage in your life, maybe you're graduating high school or college, or you're getting married, or maybe you came recently single, you're an empty nester, you hit retirement, maybe that's the time for you to see what God's up to and maybe go. Don't be afraid of different opportunities that can open to you that others don't have. And don't be afraid to pray like Isaiah, God, if you need me, send me. The ratio of unreached people group workers to the total unreached world is one missionary to every 216,000 people. All right, we, we talked earlier, there's you know, one to 8,000 just in general, but... There's so many missionaries in those easy-to-go-to countries compared to the unreached people. There's 200,000 people that one person is expected to reach. Yet there are 78,000 evangelical Christians for every one unreached people group. Like, we have people. There are resources. You know, we can do something about it. We really can. And the biggest thing we can do is we can pray. We can pray for those people that are out there. We can pray for the gospel to go forth. One of my favorite verses is 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Paul prayed, may the word of the Lord run swiftly and be glorified. And so it's just getting the word out there. May it go smoothly and swiftly. Would hearts be open? And so we're going to close a little different today. I, I want you to gather in groups, you know, two or four or three or something. And I want to pray for the missionaries that are out there and for the world that needs reached. Um, there's some prayer points on the screen First is for the current workers that are out there around the world. Pray for their health. Pray for their families. Pray for their safety. Pray for more workers to respond to the call. We can't reach it without people going. Third, pray for hearts around the world to be open to the gospel. And then lastly, for the word of the Lord to run swiftly. Right? So let's get in some groups and let's pray. God, we just thank you for... Um,
our ability to partner with things going on all around the world. Uh, that you've given us access to resources and um, just even the, the current world that we live in that gives us the ability to stay in touch and to, um, to be able to go and do what you've called us to. Um, I pray that, um, that you'd even stir people's hearts in here to go, Lord, that you would help us to um, see what we can actually do right here in our own neighborhoods, in our own um, communities, and in our own city, God, but also what we can do to affect the world around us. God, there's people all over that need to hear about you and the hope that we have in you. And I just pray that you would stir our hearts um, to give, stir our hearts to support, stir our hearts to stay in prayer, and um, may we be reminded constantly of the need of, of you and the world around us. God, we just love you so much. We thank you for the opportunity we have to partner with you anytime, God, and do work for you and with you. God, we just love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, go and be productive for Jesus. We'll see you next week.